Welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I am Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And Hagar. We got to talk a little bit about some women in the Bible we don't really focus on much. And so this week was the story of Hagar, who is a, um, number one, a slave, um, an Egyptian slave, and she gets to become a surrogate mother, which that's, that's this... A tough what? It's a tough role, I would imagine. Um, well, it's a tough role, and it's tough when you consider the fact that she kind of didn't have a choice. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, your modern day context like that—that's still a tough role. Yes, it's a tough role. It's, it's a tough role when you choose to do it. Um, it's a really tough role, I think, when you—it's it, kind of not even your choice. Yep. I mean, we don't get told that specifically, but when you're a slave, it's kind of one of those things where it's—you don't get to say no. Um. I don't think a lot of people usually appreciate that. I know we used to get a lot of pushback when I was in seminary from especially, no offense, but the male students who were like, oh, but this was elevating her. This was a good thing for her. And it was like, um, but she didn't get to say whether or not she slept with Abraham. Right. That was not, that's not okay. Anyway, so, yeah, so a lot of these stories are, um, I think part of the reason we do skip over them in the lectionaries most of the time is because they aren't the most favorable towards our, um, I guess you might call it our heroes of the faith. (laughs) Um, You know, this kind of starts shedding some shrouds of darkness over um, Abraham, because number one, it is a, a lapse in his faith um, when, you know, they decide that they're going to kind of take matters into their own hands and not trust in God's promises. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know why we don't lift that up more regularly um, to be more specific, the, you know, the, the idea that faith doesn't have to be absolute 100%. No. Like, the, in, in a perfect world, okay, but we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a real world where there are doubts. Um, there are questions. And I think the church has, has done a, dis, a disservice, especially to... Um, People new to new to the faith, new to church, new to you know, whatever you want to, however you want to fill in that blank, um, and not allowing people, not allowing room for people to have doubts or have questions. Um, I I'm perfectly comfortable with someone saying, "Listen, I, I don't know, but I'm willing to I'm willing to stick it out and journey and find out and and learn more as opposed to, oh, here I am and I have all the answers." That's never helpful. No. Um, and, and it's not only not helpful, but it's usually not true. I mean, the, the, the reality is 
we don't have all the answers. Right. Um, and, and we're not going to have all the answers. Nor do and, we have to. Yeah. And, and I get that as humans, we don't like things that are uncertain. We don't like that kind of sitting in the uncertainty, sitting in the unknown, um, because the unknown is scary. But yep. at the same time, I mean, that's kind of where we live. That, I mean, it, it's... What God does is provide certain promises. And part of, I think, what, what Abraham and Sarah's problem was, was they didn't know how they were going to get from point A to point B. Um, here's the promise. You're going to have this multitude, da-da-da-da-da. And Abraham's going, this isn't working. I'm, <laughs> you know, We're 90 not... plus years old. And my wife here is no spring chicken either. And, you know, what do we, what do, we do here? We're not bored with the script. No. So their, their logical conclusion was, well, you're maybe going to have to have these kids through somebody else. Um, and of course, Sarah, not really thinking through the ramifications of that in terms of how that's going to affect the domestic life of the family, um, which I still always find it very interesting that Sarah's the one to offer this, this idea up. Um, and, you know, who's Abraham to turn down, you know, <laughs> free sex <laughs> let's just yeah. put it bluntly it's like oh my wife's giving the seal of approval for me to sleep with someone else okay <laughs> like there used to be a, a, I assume it still is um, not a good joke but well if you're in a different area code it's not cheating or if it's like, like there's this whole like what okay yeah. I've not heard this yeah like uh, this must be a guy thing. It, it was. It was, a, it was a guy thing. And I'm like, uh, I don't think that's how it works. No, that's not how that works. Um, and I'm... That's pretty, not how any of that works. Yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that... Like, did your wife sign up? Did sign off on this theory? Oh, well, no. Oh, okay. Hey, I mean, whatever... What two consenting adults do, whatever. Um, well, you remember there was that Friends but, episode of The List that, you know, like the girlfriend yeah. gave the, the, you know, here's your, here's your list of people that, that yes. you could potentially sleep with yes. if you ever ran into them. Yes. And, yeah. and, and so the question is... <laughs> he laminated right, his list. So is that, is that list real, right? So right. by chance, I think part of that episode, or at least part of, you know, one of our family conversations, yeah, right, good luck. Yeah. If you happen to be, oh, actually, I know what it was. I was in Vegas, and I'm standing outside of, I think it was Planet Hollywood, and Britney was, Britney Spears was performing. I said, hey, honey, Britney's here. What if I meet Britney? She says, hey, if you meet Britney and you can convince her to hook up with you, then you, know, you have my blessing. Good luck. <laughs> And that conversation started a lot better in my head than it ended. Like, wait a minute. 
<laughs> basically saying, I got no shot. Now, she's absolutely right, but, I, you know. Well, and that's how, I don't know if you remember that yeah. Friends episode. That's yeah. exactly how it played yes. out. Yes, uh, I think it was I- Isabella Rossellini or somebody. I think so. Who he didn't even have on his card anymore that he had laminated. Correct. And Rachel just kind of looks at him and she goes, you know what? Even though she's not on that card, you go for it. Yeah. You, you see if you can convince her to sleep with you. You go for it, sweetie. I do not have a laminated <laughs> card. And, We've yeah. jokingly had that discussion, right. but I, I do not have a laminated card. Yeah. But the point being, um, here's the thing. And people will point to say, well, see, Abraham had a couple of wives and later on we're going to get into the story of Rachel and Leah and their handmaids and whatever. Um, and the question, you know, is like, well, okay, isn't this a biblical model, so to speak, for, for marital type relationships? And the reality is um, when there's more than one woman involved, it does not end well. So, it, it does not go well. There's, there's always a lot of strife and jealousy and things like that that go on. So pa- pause for one second. There's a lot of things that are in the Bible yes. that aren't a prescription for how to live. Right. I a lot of times tell people it is not a how-to manual. It is right. many, many times a how-not-to. Right. And there, and there are lots of things in Scripture that we would not think are good ideas. Um, yep. You know, like killing your kid. Um, you know, offering them up as a sacrifice. Um, you, know, you know, that whole... Do not recommend. No, don't recommend. <laughs> dragging your kid out of the wilderness and getting ready to, uh, like, kill him. Like, eh, probably not a good idea. Um, that, that might stress your familial relationship. It just might. Yep. Um, same thing in this situation. Just because it's in Scripture doesn't mean that it's something that you should do. Yeah. So, sorry. And as I was in the middle of, of kind of researching, writing this sermon, the thing that popped out to me was um, when Hagar runs away. And I started looking at, I'm like, okay, so she runs away and goes to the wilderness. I'm like, and she's clearly prepared to die. Why on earth would she have done this? And, and then it really kind of struck me um, about how few options she had, which then took me to the next place of, so even today when women are in abusive situations, the question is always asked, why don't they just leave? And it's kind of that, well, unless they're willing to just kind of go out in the wilderness and die (laughs) with their kid, um, it's not easy. It's, It's not something you can just easily do, especially if you're someone who got married, let's say right out of, high school or something along those lines, and you have not built up anything for yourself. Right. And, you know, I look at, back on my situation, and I'm so grateful I did not get married till I was 38 years old. Um, which, on the one hand, I had hoped when I got married at 38 I would have made a better choice. Um, but also the reality that I had options that a lot of women don't have if they had gotten married, you know, 20 years younger. Um, 
that I had a career. I owned my own home. Um, I had a retirement account. Um, I had, and, and most of all, I had a support system. And I, I had family and I had a lot of friends. And a lot of times in these abuse situations, you don't have that because abusers tend to isolate their yep. spouse. Yep. Um, they gaslight them, they isolate them, they get them so that their, their friends and family kind of aren't there for them anymore um, and have, have so isolated them that they have nowhere to turn or they have gaslit to the point that they have, have convinced your one-time support system that you are the one who is in the wrong. And when you go to them saying, look, this person is doing this to me, it's more of a, well, what are you doing wrong? Because, you know, it's, it, it, it creates a, yeah. I, I look at the fact that I was extremely lucky. I had a lot of things that worked in my favor that the vast majority of women in abusive situations do not have. And I didn't have children. So there, while there was a long, drawn-out divorce, because um, he continued to fight it, at least there was not a custody battle. And there was not the ongoing having to deal with an abuser with children. Kids um, change the game. Yeah. I, I remember when I was going, I, when I was going through my divorce, I had a, there, there was this one lady who was part of uh, this, this healthcare uh, clinic that we were setting up in Nebraska, in, in Kearney, um, in Nebraska, that was a, basically going to be a free clinic. And she was kind of spearheading it as the executive director type person. And as I was going through my divorce, she was like, yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're going through. She goes, I, I lived with someone like that for 17 years. And my eyes just got huge. And I was like, how did you do this for 17 years? And she's yep. like, I had kids. Yep. I couldn't just leave. And it was kind of that, 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 foot to the gut sort of, you know, moment where, you know, it's just like, oh, somebody just kicked me in the gut as I realize that, yeah, it makes people can't it, be in the situation like me where when you suddenly start to realize these things, you just, you're, you're just like, okay, I'm going to figure it out. And I have parents who offered to help me. Um, I wound up not taking the help, but they offered to help me financially if I needed any help, um, getting divorced, blah, 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 blah. In my, in my life with, you know, going through a, a failing marriage, um, It's like, okay, so am I, am I willing, am I willing and able to be a single dad? And it was like, uh, maybe. I'm definitely willing, able, I, I don't know. No, I, again, I had, I had a support system, so I had lots of help from, from my parents um, and family. But 
I remember ultimately, because then you also have the, well, you're supposed to stay together. Like, you're, you're not supposed to divorce. And, and, you know, that was not a religious point in my, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, as a product of divorced parents, um, I knew the challenges that that posed. Um, and like, I don't, I don't want that for, I don't want that for my son. Um, I don't want that for him. And it's like, what, what do I, what do I do? How do I, how do I handle that? And ultimately for me, it was, you know, I am a better, I am healthier. And this is a hard part to get to. You know, I am healthier outside of this relationship than I am in it. And I can't be a, a quality functioning parent if I am not in a good place myself, mentally, emotionally. Um, but that's, that's hard. And again, it, I think it underscores the need for community and not just um, every, everyone for themselves. And we've kind of gotten to that point um, in our world well, you shouldn't have done this. Well, then you shouldn't have got married. Well, then you shouldn't have kids. You shouldn't have... Well, you know what? Lots, Lots of, of things I shouldn't have done. Right. And everybody has a list of things they shouldn't have done. The reality is that list gets, mag- gets multiplied positively or negatively based on your original circumstance. So if you are super wealthy, you have resources available that can make those negative forces virtually disappear. If you're in a negative situation to start with, if you're starting from a deficit, and that's deficit whether it's of money, whether it's support system or whatever, it's really hard to get out of that deficit. So again, we both talked about being fortunate to not be oper- in, that, in that situation not going into it in a deficit. Because when you're going through it, things are going to be depleted. And things meaning money, resources, relationships. I, I lost friends that were my friends going into my marriage. I lost coming out of my marriage. And part of it was, you know, in my situation, hey, you know what? I got a kid now. I'm sorry, guys. I can't go out and party all the time. I loved going out drinking with you guys. I loved hanging out with you guys. I just can't anymore. Well, guess who could? My ex-wife that wasn't responsible and didn't care. So it's like, wait a minute. So y'all are my boys and you're going out partying with my ex-wife and I'm home with the kids. Peace out. Like, again, so, I mean, you lose resources. There's not a relationship that ends where you don't lose resources. Now, I will say, in case it's not clear, you can actually come out in the long run further ahead. It's called, you know, cutting your losses and, you know, addition by subtraction. That's a thing. But if you're starting in that deficit situation, it's really, really hard. So 
I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip my toe. Maybe I'll end up just jumping in. I don't know because I'm a verbal processor and this ain't scripted. Um, for me, I think that's where the um, reproductive rights of women conversation really misses the mark, right? So... There are a lot no, of people I, I'm just out gonna there. Go. I'm, I'm just going to go. So when you have wealthy people making determinations about reproductive rights, that's problematic. Now, I am not advocating that abortion should be birth control. I'm not saying I, I, I love, like, I, I'm in favor of abortion. But what I'm saying is there has to be, before we can have a genuine conversation about women's reproductive rights, we have to have genuine conversations about a lot of other things until we get there. And, like, and like, we want to start with that, with, with, sol with I'm, air, I'm air quoting here, solving that, that debate. But there are so many things that make that debate necessary that we have to address first. We have to address equal pay issues. We have to address um, sex education issues. We have to address all these other things if we're going to legitimately have a conversation about reproductive rights. And again, I'm not... This isn't, this, isn't, this isn't pro or con abortion. This is about making sure the other things are in place so we can actually have a legitimate conversation. It, when you have people who are not in that situation making determination, and I'm not just talking about gender. You know, I will never know what it's like to carry a baby. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, but men should not be the sole ones making decisions on women's reproductive rights. Rich people should not be the sole people making decisions on reproductive rights. And I'm not saying that, you know, oh, well, blah, blah. Listen, the reality is if you're poor and you can't afford birth control, uh, well, you're more likely to get pregnant. And so then the answer is, well, just don't have sex. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. So, 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 said, so said the people who voted for this that, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know yeah. where I'm going with that. Like, yeah. So, I mean, it's easy to say, well, just don't do it, but... Uh. Yeah. Well, and, and this is my, my big issue with the whole thing is, like, if, if you stopped with abortion, okay, you know, I, I may have some issues with that, but if you could at least stop there, but it never stops there. It... it but I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about down the road. I'm just talking no, no, about... No, no, I'm not talking the, down the road either because yeah. this is an immediate what happens yeah. when we're talking about reproductive rights is then they also remove all of our access to things like birth control. Right. And, and that's and, where it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, yeah, it, you, it's a completely different, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. If, you're, if your true goal is to stop this, I have, then you need to make this more accessible. I have, I have a really, really good friend a really good friend of Christina and mine. Um, his daughter is about the same age as my son, who today is 23, and that makes me feel old. Anyway, so about the same age. Yeah, happy birthday to Camden. Yeah, they're about the same age. She went to college and wanted and was considering living, moving in with her boyfriend. Her dad, devout Catholic, love him to death, um, was literally losing his mind like, well, why? Like, why are you flipping out? Well, you know, if they live together, then they're going to have sex. And if they're going to have sex, then they're going to have kids. And then blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, well, have you, have you talked to her? Have you had a talk with her about sex? Well, no. Well, maybe that's a good place to start. 
Have you had to talk to her about birth control? Well, no. Because, well, we're Catholic and we don't believe in birth control. Oh, okay. Well, now you've just really complicated the situation because now, by your rationale, you're just on a wing and a prayer that nothing happens. So that's saying, you know, again, in his case, all Catholic kids aren't going to use birth control. I'm not picking on the Catholics, but you know, he happened to be Catholic. All Catholic kids cannot use birth control, and because they cannot use birth control, will never have sex until they're married. I don't think this is breaking news. That's not going to happen. It's not going to work. It this hasn't worked work. since the beginning of time, and it's not likely to change. And we, can, and we can throw a tantrum, and we can stomp our feet, and we can swear and declare that it's not okay to have premarital sex, and we can say that blah, blah, blah. We can say all those things, and the reality is since the beginning of time, kids have been having sex yep. at some point before they're married. Now, we can say, pre, again, we can hope What's that saying? You can wish in one hand and poop in the other and see which one fills up first. Um, <laughs> I, I just, like, at some point there has to be some common sense in, in what we're doing. And well, there's and one just of a my whole, biggest it, goes, it goes back to, as a community, you know, can we put systems in place that care for the vulnerable in our world? And in this case... There was not a system in place, clearly. Um, you know, it may, may, maybe in some fashion, and again, Hagar was in a situation initially where, not a great situation because she was a slave, but she was, I'm using air quotes again, cared for. You know what I mean? Like in the immediate, she had a place to live. Till she got kicked out. Till she got kicked out. So maybe going in, she's like, okay, well, at least I got some security well, here. She, I mean, she ran uh, away the first time, but the second time, she gets kicked out. Yeah, yep. Yep, Sarah's done. She's like, uh-uh, I don't want yep. her around anymore. Yeah. Do um, you know, never mind. That's, never mind. Okay. Um, yeah, one of my biggest issues with that whole debate is um, we care about them until they're born, and then once they're born, right. the same people that want everyone to take every single birth, you know, every, every single pregnancy to birth, then don't care what happens to that kid once it's born. Yeah. And I mean, they're trying to do away with welfare programs. They're trying to do away with, and it's, and I will tell you right now, you don't want to know how many people I know who are in public, et cetera, anti-abortion, but let me tell you, if it happens to them or their kid, guess what they're doing? Yep. They go find someplace to take, to but, take care of it. Right, again, it's resources. Yeah. Having resources and the ability to do it. Uh, again, th- and, and let's, just, let's just be honest, like the whole abortion, women's reproductive rights is a hotly, hotly, hotly contested issue. Yep. Um, and, and I... And it's a, it's, a, it's a particularly challenging issue in the church, and I totally understand it. I get it. And also, for me, again, the, the, the bigger issue is having a, I hate using the word safety net because it's been politicized, um, you know, having, a, having systems set up to care for the vulnerable 
in our community. People say, oh, well, well the, the unborn are vulnerable. Yeah, okay. Yep. There's lots of vulnerable people that are taking in air and walking that we just discard and don't care about. Nope. We just, and yeah, we, we don't, we, like I said, we don't care what happens to them once they're born. Um, and not that I want to have to make a choice between which one we, you know, we care for, but at the, I, I, I tend to land a little bit more on the, the ones that are already breathing and, and have a life and, and are, are part of our society. Um, and again, this is not in any way, shape, or form that we are, quote, for abortion. We're not. It's just that it is, there are so many factors at play. And so many things that drive this whole thing. It's just not a black and white issue. We, and I realize I, some people don't realize that because A, they've never been in this situation. And B, um, they are not part of the group, so to speak, um, that this is going to affect the most. That in terms of um, being poor, um, being you know, having the economic issues that, that it's, drive a lot of it. It's easy to isolate things. Into good and bad. Into good and bad. It's easy to isolate things into singular issues, but they're not. So, let's, so school shootings. School shootings are not just a gun issue. They're a gun issue, and they're an issue on other areas of society. They just are. It's really hard to say that anything going on is, is singularly focused. You know, we are a global, interconnected world where you know, lots of things are going on in the world. Like, it, it just are. There's a million things. Going on. And to say that, oh, well, this one thing is the issue. A another example, um, in our country, um, health care is tied to employment. Okay, well, how does, that, how does that affect the vulnerable? Okay, well, what do you do when there's a pandemic and businesses close and people lose their jobs because there's a health issue? Oh, well, now we have sick people without insurance. Oh, well, now they rack up debt. Oh, I, again, there, there are so many connect, interconnectedness to issues that they're not just singularly focused. And then... Well, and then you throw on top of it, you know, let's, let's throw on top of it, you know, the Bible talks a lot about issues of caring for the vulnerable. Yeah, and one of my biggest issues that we have adopted here during this pandemic is, and I get it, we say we, we, we have to move on with life, we have to get back to quote normal, blah, 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 and at the same time, that is at the expense of um, a lot of people who have certain disabilities or health issues. And we've just basically said they don't matter. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, they don't matter because we need X, Y, and Z to happen. Yep. And I've, I've been, that, that's one of the things I've really been struggling with the past two years. Um, people ask me why I still wear a mask. I know, at least up to this point, I have been exposed and have not come down with it. And 
you know, I, and I could adopt the, the view of, you know what, I'm probably immune. The vaccine either worked or I have a natural immunity or something like that. You know, I spent seven hours in close proximity with somebody who was very contagious that we didn't know at the time. Um, and I, and I didn't ever come down with it. I continue to wear a mask because I know I am around other people who are vulnerable and it only takes one time for me to be exposed to somebody and it actually takes and I get sick and then I unknowingly pass it on to somebody else who, and for me, that's just, it's, the mask is simple. Um, I don't know. It's just, that's, that's my view on it. I know not everybody agrees with it. I'm not judging other people who don't do it. Um, it's just for me, it, it, it's, it's something very simple I can do to at least mitigate that risk for some of the more vulnerable people that I know I'm going to be around. Um, because I also, in addition to what I do at church, I teach painting classes. So I'm around another, you know, um, easily 100 people a week that, um, you know, I have no idea what they expose me to, um, you know, what, what that possibility is. And so, yeah, I just, when I'm at church and I'm leading worship, I go ahead and I, when I'm greeting people in and out, just because not so much I'm worried about what they're going to potentially give me, I just don't want to give them something. Um, and like I said, it's just, that's kind of how my brain has processed this whole thing. Um, and I, I just feel for the people who, who are still like staying at home and are isolated because they're like, I can't go out in public because if I get this, it will kill me. Yeah. And, you know, I just feel as Christians, maybe we're called to do and be a little better. But like I said, I'm just, and I get it, you know, it's inconvenient. It's, it's not something we like to do. Um, I mean, I don't like wearing a mask. <laughs> um, it's not my favorite thing in the world, let me tell you. Um, at the same time, it doesn't hurt me. And if it, if, it's, if it keeps me from giving it to even one person that I might otherwise have given it to, I, I feel it's worth it. But that's me. Um, we just are not good in general, though, of really looking out for the people who are vulnerable. We are not a society um, that really does care much about the vulnerable. Um, we don't lift it up at all. We don't lift it up. Um, we're a very, what I would call, ableist society, where as long as you're healthy and you're good, I mean, we're very survival of the fittest, which ironically is Darwinism, <laughs> um, not Christianity, um, but a lot of Christians have really adopted that view of it's survival of the fittest, and you know what, if you're not part of the fit, oh well, and you know, we kind of we toss you aside. But that isn't really part of what we are called to do or to be as Christians. Um, and, you know, part of my problem in the, the story as well with the, the, 
Abraham and Hagar and whatever, Abraham just kind of takes absolutely no responsibility for anything that goes on. Now, I'll grant you, yeah, it was Sarah's idea. But once that kid's born, you know, he's kind of like, well, whatever. She's your slave. You do, you, you do what you want with her. Yep. I will give him this. He, he, when it came time when Ishmael was actually born and then Isaac was born and Sarah was like, I want them gone, he actually did struggle with that. He was like, wait, no, I don't you know, want to do this. And actually God intervened at that point and was like, well, no, it's okay. Go ahead, send them away. I'll take care of them. You know, <laughs> it's like, it, but it takes God going, okay, fine. I, okay. I'm going to, yeah, I'll take care of them while they're living in the wilderness because, um, you know, this clearly is not a sustainable type of situation. And there weren't a whole lot of options. Um, and in this case, there's a promise. There is a promise both to Abraham and to Hagar from God. And so that promise being Ishmael is going to at least live long enough to have offspring as well. Yeah. And that Abraham is going to have all of his tons of offspring. Um, and it's really hard, I think, when you're looking at, at some of these stories. Like I said, I, kinda, I kind of equated it with, I really wish, you know, God had set up a nice little hut and place for, for Hagar to live so she didn't have to go back to the abusive situation. And, and granted, it was not Abraham who was being abusive. It was Sarah, but still, the abuse was there. Um, That's like very real housewives. Yeah. And... <laughs> It, 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 yeah, you know, I want the Disney movie. I want the, okay, go out in the wilderness and, and the animals just take care of you or whatever. <laughs> um, but that's also not reality. And, and it's part of, part of scripture always is there is miraculous stuff that happens that is, quote, unbelievable. And there's also working within the confines of what is reality. So, yes, God resurrects people from the dead. Yes, God does, you know, these miraculous things that, that defy the norm, um, parts the seas, you know, does things, that, you know, normally. But he also works nine-tenths of the time God is working within whatever the reality of the situation is. And in this case, the reality of the situation is there are no good options at this point. Um, once, once Abraham kind of lost the faith, so to speak, for a little bit, those ramifications are huge. And they affect not just him, but his children going forward. Um, and, you know, their relationships and how they get along and how then eventually their people get along and, and things like that. And it just, it creates all of these, um, unintended consequences. <laughs> yep. And, and they're hard to grapple with. And... 
we're going to kind of keep grappling with some some of these issues as we kind of continue on because I mean um, in another not this coming week um, this this coming week is the story of Rebecca and 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 Isaac and Isaac actually stays faithful to Rebecca so we don't have problems there but then there's Jacob the following week with Rachel and Leah and and those handmaids and you know, we're, we're delving right back into that, the, the messy issue. And yet it's still through the messiness that the 12 tribes come to be. Um, but we'll talk more about that in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> the, but it kind of sets the stage in terms of, you know, what, looking at what was socially acceptable back then to do as well. Um, and right. that having progeny, having children was such a, a huge part of their identity, um, of being able to pass down your, your, the way it was described to me in seminary was, um, eternal life, the way we think about it in the New Testament was not the way in which the Old Testament saw eternal life. For them, the way they lived on was through their children. This is how do you how do you continue on? How do you keep alive, so to speak? And it's like, well, you stay alive as long as people remember you. And so it, that's what the genealogies are for. That's where that all of that comes from. Is you need to have children in order to continue on. And of course, um, back then you needed lots of children because. Um, Lots of things killed you very early on. <laughs> you needed to have a couple that would survive. So the idea was you had lots of kids so that they would sur actually survive beyond um, childhood and into adulthood to long enough to have kids themselves. And that kind of was the, the understanding of why there is so much of a focus of not necessarily on how good was the, the relationship between the husband and wife. It was how do I get kids? How do I get kids so that my life can continue on? That was the sole focus. Yeah. And I mean, we're get, we are getting away from that a little bit now in society um, where the sole focus isn't to have kids. But for some people, it's still critically important um, to their, to, their, to their life. Yeah, and their uh, identity. And, and to their and, identity and to their marriage. And again, it's not as strong as it was, um, but it's still very much a thing. Well, speaking as someone who did not have children. Yeah. Um, who wanted children? I did. I, I, my whole life, I wanted a family. Didn't happen. Um... And, it, it, and I'm going to tell you all right now, it is not helpful to tell me that, oh, well, gee, God made a promise to Sarah and she had a child in her old age. I do not want a child in my old age. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, number one, I don't want to put my body through that. Number two, um, I don't have the energy to raise a kid at this point. <laughs> I'm like, if I'm starting from, I'm almost 50 years old. If I'm, I'm just starting with a, a newborn, I'm going to be 70. <laughs> Um, when that kid's going to college, no, thank you. Um, not, not interested, but 
there are some realities um, that even in our society, I'm worried about by not having children. What happens to me in 20, 30 years? I got no kids. Yep. Um, when I'm not able to fully take care of myself, what happens? It's, I mean, that, that's, those are the things that run through my head. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> who's going to take care of me when I can't take care of myself? Because we do not have a society that does that. Nope. We do not care for, you know, our, our, our homelessness problem among our elderly is horrifying. And that's going to continue to be a problem. And so part of why you had kids was that you were going to be who took care of you in your old age. That's why I had them. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> well, maybe you can lend me one of them. Um, <laughs> I'll lend you one now. <laughs> um, but, I mean, those, are, those were concerns now, but they are concerns as what, right now as well because as somebody who is in that situation, it does worry me and maybe I'll never get to that point you know I may keel over from something else or be in an accident or something along those lines um and never have to worry about that but you know there's that there's that reality um and so while it I, I wouldn't call it necessarily it it changes my identity you know I'm not a mother I'm not a whatever um it does alter how you view your future going forward after a certain point that you of age that you reach yep. now in the case of say sarah um you know i don't know that that was so much the concern and her 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 concern was this was what she was expected to do in her society she was expected to give her husband children so that his name could carry on um, and she was not able to do that. So I get where she was, you know, like, okay, my husband needs a way for his progeny to become, you know, because otherwise he was just going to leave his stuff to his nephew. And she was like, no, you need a son. And so she thought, okay, I'm going to grab Hagar here, 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 use her. This is how I can do what I need to do is through her. Um, and it's just such a horrible system that they were, they were caught in the middle of. And, you know, we can get mad at them and we can blame them, but at the same time, it was the society they lived in. These were the expectations. These were the things. This was how it worked. Um, and... You know, there's so much that's horrifying in it from the standpoint of you've got slavery going on. Not a good plan to begin with. Um, and then in the midst of that, you've got, you know, a, a forced encounter. Um, and then all of the drama that is going to surround that within the family. Um, and, of course, from Hagar's perspective... She goes from being a slave to being the master's wife. 
that's a huge elevation, but it's such an, a difficult spot to be in because, okay, you're now the master's wife and you've actually done what the master's first wife couldn't do, which is give him a child. And how do you, how do you live in the middle of that and respond to that as a human being? Um, when this is your situation. So people can be like, oh, well, she just got too prideful. She got too haughty. She got too whatever. And it's like, well, look at her situation. How do you not revel in the fact that you're no longer way down here? You've been elevated. And yeah, that's probably going to come with some adjustments to to attitude. And <laughs> it, well, it does. I mean, I watched the movie Pretty Woman. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's a really good example of you know elevation, instant instant elevation in society in societal circles. Right. Um, I'm going to assume everybody saw the movie or at least knows yeah. the context. At this point, if you haven't, too bad. Yeah. So, like, when she walks into the store, still dressed they in her her, yeah. her lady of the evening um, attire, right? And you know, they 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 just ignore her, and then she comes back dressed quite nicely, and they all want her business, and she's like, "Yeah, huge mistake," yeah. <laughs> you know, and and you can't help it um, sometimes of, of going in and just kind of wanting to shove it in their face. Yeah, you ignored me. You treated me like garbage. And now guess what? Now I'm the one on top. I'm the one you should have been trying to help. Yeah, the trick is to not use that, right? Right. Again, human nature, you're most of the time we're going to end up, you know, taking our crack at haha. But if we're being honest, we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. Should Hagar have, have, have adopted that kind of haughty thing? No, probably not. Does that mean she deserved to be abused? Right. To the point that she decided death was better in the wilderness? <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to go with no. Um, but these are messy stories. And I realize they're a challenge because they're messy when we preach them yep. at the same time, I think they're vitally important for us to talk about because messy is where we live. And yeah. if we hold up scripture as being something that is pristine and doesn't address the messiness and doesn't hold the messiness in tension, then I think we're doing a disservice because to me, that's part of what is so compelling about Scripture. Is it doesn't sugarcoat the messiness. It doesn't even give you like a moral of this story half the time. It just kind of lets the messiness be messy. Yep. And you can maybe walk away again with sort of a hmm. Maybe doing things that way was not a good idea. And we can learn from it and say, okay. But also to have compassion in the midst of it 
And, you know, it's, I don't want to judge any of the people involved because I look at their society and their circumstances and go, they are all a product of their environment in terms of what is going on in their society. And the, the places they're placed in. And, okay, sure, we can sit and, like I said, I mean, I, I tend to rail a little bit on Abraham because I'm like, well, he's the one who had the promise. What the heck? Why wasn't he faithful to that promise? Well, how many of us probably would have been faithful to that promise either? Right. And had been, been looking. And I always say that there's kind of a weird, there's a weird line because as Christians, we are called to be active participants in the promises of God. We are to be active builders of God's kingdom. And at the same time, sometimes what you're, you're supposed to do is just sit back and trust God's going to do X, Y, and Z. So where's that line between, well, but God is calling us to do X, Y, and Z, Versus this place where God wants us to just let God do that God's thing. It can be a hard balance. Yeah. Of, well, what are the things we're supposed to be trying to accomplish and taking action versus, well, maybe God's just going to figure out how to, quote, do it. And we just let him do it. Take your hands off the wheel. Right. Whew, that's hard. Like that, like, we like control. Like, we, we like to have an agency of control. And that whole idea of having faith and trusting, whether it's God or, out, you know, or someone else, it's hard. Yeah. But that's kind of what it's about. Right. Um. And like I said, for me, the, the, the difficult part is also then to recognize there are times where we aren't supposed to just sit back and say, well, God will figure it out. Because we are called to act with justice. We are called to act in many circumstances in terms of how God wants us to live and be. And that is within our control to a certain degree. And we're supposed to be striving and working towards those things. Yeah. And yet there's also the trust. Well, where, where is the promise and how, and how do we live into that promise without kind of trying to take the reins? <laughs> and, yeah. and, the way I look at it is like when you, you try to make sort of basically what I call a self-fulfilling prophecy um, of, well, this is how I understand what's supposed to be happening. Therefore, I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. And whether that's the way it's supposed to happen or not, we make it happen that way, which sometimes is not the best way. Yep. Um, if we, you know, understand certain things as well. There needs to be war in this place, so let's champion a war. It's like, no. <laughs> right. Um, that's not how that works. 
So we are about at time. So I'm going to wrap this up. Next week is uh, Rebecca, my namesake. Yep, yep. But Pastor Chad gets to preach on my namesake. Yep, yep. And one of the things I love about Rebecca is, um, I, I think if we were to actually, Isaac's a very, how should I put this, passive character. Um, Rebecca's kind of the one that is, is the action-oriented character in this, um, in this story, who is much more, quote, a mother of the faith. Right. Along the same lines as Abraham versus Isaac, but... We will get into that next week, and we look forward to Pastor Chad's sermon on it this dun, week. Dun, dun. This week. So, all right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk at you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.